good afternoon. It's uh, <clears throat> give me one second. It's uh, it's great to be uh, with you. I'm grateful to Owen and Jenny for the for the invitation. I've never been to to Wokingham. Actually, the first time I ever heard about Wokingham was when Owen and Jenny moved here. My geography of the UK is not uh, exemplary, so I, I had no idea where Wokingham was. I just knew he, Owen was in Wokingham, and I was pleased to find out where it is. And we've, uh, we've unfortunately only been here for a day and a bit, but we have loved it. We will be back. Uh, we've been spoiled and hosted wonderfully and made friends, and it's been wonderful. So, Owen, thanks for the, the invite here. Um, I bring greetings from our church in, in Parkhurst to where... Uh, delighted um, to release us for another Sunday, to stay on after advance, um, to be with you. And I'm praying that um, what I share with you uh, this afternoon will be, uh, some of it is for now, for Foundation Church, and some of it is for what the Lord will do uh, in you and through you. I firmly believe uh, that the Lord is going to encourage you uh, in these things. I I want to start just by sharing uh, some of my own uh, story. I've been a pastor since I left school. Uh, So I tell my friends I'm a professional Christian. It's the only thing I can really do uh, is be a pastor. I'm not qualified to do anything else. And um, so I've had a a fair number of years of pastoring. And I was uh, a few years um, ago, our, our church is coming up for its 10th birthday, um, and a, a, a couple of years into the church, I was invited uh, to go on a ministry trip to Brazil, and uh, yeah, it was, it was an amazing trip, and I remember sitting uh, with this pastor uh, in Brazil. Uh, he, he didn't speak any English, and I didn't speak any... Portuguese. Yeah, thank you. I was like, is it Spanish or Portuguese? It's, it's Portuguese. His wife is, is fluent in both, so it was a quite a stilted conversation, you can imagine. We're trying to, because he's very animated, and I would sit and watch and be like hanging on every Portuguese word, thinking, you know, then she would wait, you know, and translate in these long paragraphs, and then I would give the same back and watch and not know what was going across, but uh, I mean, the whole conversation could have missed each other if she got it wrong, but anyway, I'm getting distracted. Uh, we're, We're sharing, and he's asking me about the church, and I'm, I'm sharing with him, I'm saying, look, we, God has been so kind to us since we started. Uh, only in his mercy, he caused our church to grow really quickly as we, as we planted. Uh, we had a group of about uh, 30 or 40 that we were able to start with. And, and very quickly, uh, it was, it was a, a sizable crowd of people. Uh, and I was very excited, so I was busy telling this guy this and waiting for the response kind of thing. And, you know, he let me go for qu- quite a while sharing my excitement of what the Lord was doing. And then he asked a couple of questions around what we were doing. Uh, and I explained even more, you know, animated about what we were doing. And he just sort of looked at me as he was listening to the last translation and then gave a short reply. And I thought, oh. And I looked at his wife and, and she said, look, <clears throat> if you don't make some radical changes... In a few years' time, you're going to be leading a church that you don't want to be a part of. And I was like, you know, has something got lost in translation? That doesn't sound particularly encouraging, you know. <laughs> Maybe I didn't make myself clear. And he proceeded to then give me a further explanation. And I think God sent him along into my life to poke around a little bit. And I basically explained to him, look, 
I, I love to preach and to teach, and I had built a ministry around that and, and being with people. Uh, when you're a pastor, uh, even as a Christian, if you're a community, what do you call them here? Community groups, life groups, life group, you're in a life group, you have interesting people, maybe even part of other churches. It's possible to do a lot of Christian things that don't actually look like the making of disciples. And I had become guilty as a pastor of being really busy, doing a whole bunch of stuff that looked like a lot of busyness, it looked like fruitfulness, it looked like effectiveness, but it actually wasn't building disciples. And, and God used that man as a corrective in my life to say, look, basically those words have hung on to them. Say, so if you carry on what you're doing now, in a few years' time you're going to be leading a church you don't want to be a part of. You're going to have a whole bunch more people, but you're not going to have any deepening disciple makers, people who are following Jesus closely and able and equipped to help others to do the same. Gathering a crowd is different to building a church. And as you get going, you're still young as a church. You're, you are still getting going. And COVID has arrested some of your early um, momentum and development, as it has for all of us. We feel like in South Africa, we're, we've hit the reset button. Now, we're still masked up and limited gatherings and things that we don't know how long that's going to go on for. So you're a little bit ahead of the curve, and we're jealous. Uh, the thought of having to put a mask on to go back home uh, tonight just crushes my soul. But anyway, uh, maybe I'll come back to the UK next week. I'll see how long I can live with a mask again. It's been so nice to be without it. But as you find your feet as a church, I pray that some of what I share with you will encourage you in what you're doing now in the, the DNA of how you set the life of your church now, how you live as a believer in Jesus now, and how God will use it to shape you and to shape the future uh, years of foundation and the future generations of believers who will come to faith in Jesus because of the ministry of this church and your ministry and your life. I want to I want to focus on answering this question, how did Jesus build disciples? How did Jesus build uh, disciples? You, you may, like me, have one of these fancy Bibles where there are red, uh, red letters. Uh, I've got an eight-year-old uh, son, uh, amongst other children, and uh, he's the youngest, and he asks the best questions. And as I've been reading the Bible uh, with him. Sometimes we read his Bible, which is a sort of a Jesus storybook Bible, which is a wonderful kind of kid's Bible. But every now and then he wants to read the real deal with me. And the other day we were reading and he's like, why are those letters red? And I said, well, you know, when you see the red letters, that's when Jesus is speaking. So he's like, oh, okay. I said, no, well, look here. So then he just, he flipped it open to the Psalms and there were no red letters. He's like, well, didn't Jesus have anything to say in this part? I said, no, well, not, you know, it's confusing, you know, like, you need to go to bed in like five minutes, but let me give you the crash course. Took him to the Gospels, and I said, look how many red letters there. Oh, yeah, he's like, wow. And I took him to, um, to, uh, to John 14 to 16, you know, where Jesus is just speaking. And for a couple of pages of my Bible, it's just red. And he was like, wow, Jesus had a lot to say that day, hey, Dad. Yet I was like, yeah, he did, he did. <clears throat> and if you, if you look at the beginning of um, Luke, I'm sorry, in the beginning of Acts, it says this, Acts 1 verse 1, it says, in the first book, O Theophilus, uh, Luke's first book, he wrote Luke and Acts, he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. 
do and teach. Luke draws our attention not just to what Jesus taught, but what he did, how he lived his life. We, we call it the black letters. And as Christians, we have sometimes become, not, I wouldn't say too obsessed, because I think we should be very obsessed and absorb what Jesus has taught, but we've paid too little attention to how he lived. What did he do? He was here for 30-odd years. He had three years of public ministry. What did Jesus do? What was Jesus' model of ministry? Three years of ministry, what was his ministry philosophy? What did he give his best energy to his only public years of ministry? How did Jesus build disciples? Well, I've got, I don't know, I think six things. We'll get through them all fairly swiftly, don't worry. First thing that Jesus did is that he called people to follow himself, not a church or a movement. He called people to himself. This is, this is really important in Mark, if you're making notes, Mark chapter 1, verse 16. It says this, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw... Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, cast in a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, men in their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. It has always been about following Jesus. It's not about being a part of Foundation Church. It's not about following Owen, as wonderful as Owen is. It's not about following a person, a leadership team, a group of elders. Our call is to follow him. Jesus calls us to himself. We've just been down in Bournemouth, as Owen said, with our advanced family of churches from all around the world, 400 of us, lots of joy, lots of life in the place, hearing stories of what God is doing all over, over the world. I think we added 30-odd churches um, from around the world into formal kind of membership. It, it, there's a lot going on in the worldwide advance family, it's easy to think I'm part of a movement. God has called me to be part of this movement, but it's not. Our movement has had some bumps and some struggles in the last couple of years, and some are bewildered and disillusioned because I think if you place the movement or the church in front of Christ, things are always going to go sideways. Jesus, a reminder to you this afternoon, Jesus calls you to follow him. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. And there is a way in which we can uh, do ministry, befriend people, lead, love, that we can make it about ourselves. We can make people dependent on us. Maybe some of you, this is not a, um, something that you will encounter much, but those of you more involved in leading things and uh, shepherding people in ministry. To, it's a, there's a way in which you can do it where you feel so appreciated by people that you love the appreciation of the people. And you kind of keep it going in a, in a way that you're happy to share the glory with Jesus. Well, we're happy to share uh, the load with Him. 
We love the fact that they love Jesus, but we don't mind the fact that they love us and kind of need us in their lives to help them make steps. Friends, our primary calling is to get out of the way, to use the gifts God has given us, and to point people to Jesus and cause them just to fall in love with Him, to follow Him, to become obsessed with Him, not to become dependent on us in any way. The first thing about how Jesus makes disciples is He calls them and He calls us, He calls you today to following Him. And if, if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus or you're, you're still taking steps towards faith, this is the foundation of the gospel, is that Jesus calls you to follow Him. You may not know what that looks like. You may, you may have fears and confusion around what it actually means to follow Him. Uh, but you, you, you can figure it out. Don't worry about that. Just bank this. The call is to follow Him. Not to attend church, although you should. <laughs> you know, church attendance is different to following Him. We don't stack up brownie points because we attend church. We attend church because it's good for us. It's good for us. It's good for others because the Lord uses us in church. We should prioritize the gathering of the saints, absolutely. But it's not the same as following Him. Eyes and hearts fixed on Him. I pray that you would be a community. You would be a church. That when people think of Foundation Church, this is how they would describe you. These are Jesus-obsessed people. That's what they talk about. That's what they talk about. You spend time with them. These guys love Jesus. They just keep talking about Jesus the whole time. Who leads the thing? We're not sure. We think it's this Owen guy. He seems to talk a lot more, but he keeps talking about Jesus the whole time. It's as if like Jesus is the senior leader of the church because what does the Bible tell us? He is, and we should live like it and speak like it and rejoice like he is leading this gig because he is. It's all about following Him. The second thing that we see in the way Jesus made disciples is that He is with them. He is with them. If you're making notes, Mark 3 verse 14 says this, And He appointed twelve, whom He also named apostles, so that He might be with, so that they may be with Him, and he may send them out to preach so that they may be with him and then send them out to preach. Jesus knew that those men needed to spend the better part of three years with him before they could go and do anything. And Jesus' ministry strategy is fairly simple. We don't think that he had a curriculum that he necessarily took them through. There was some inherent power and life-transforming effect of being with Jesus that shaped these men in a way that they were not even necessarily aware of, that when God sent the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit on them at Pentecost, the whole world was turned upside down. And you are sitting in Wokingham today as a believer in Jesus, partly as a result of what God did by spending three years with 12 untrained men. It's, it was God's number one plan to reach the world, was to call 12 men to be with Him. With Him. That, they traveled with Him. They saw Jesus the first thing in the morning. Sometimes. 
he normally got up early and left them. And eventually, when they woke up, you know, they'd find him. Maybe sometimes they saw him. Sometimes they maybe woke him up if he took a morning off when he wasn't out praying. They saw Jesus when he was hungry. I don't know if you're like me, but I get hangry. Do you, do you have that term over here, the hungry-angry combination? Yeah, I, my wife knows she can see the signs coming. She's like, eat this. You know, I made this for you. Please eat it before you lapse into hunger. Uh, yeah, I wonder if they ever saw Jesus hangry. They saw, him, they saw him crying. They saw him sad. They saw him angry. They just saw him as a man as he lived his life with them. This, this is the transformative effect. If you want to make disciples, if you want to make others followers of Jesus, you have to be with them. You have to be with them before we send them out. That's, that's what it says in Mark. He called them to be with him so that he may send them out. So there's not just a call to be with. There is a call to be sent, but one comes before the other. We are most transformed by being with him. I would, I would say it more strongly that maturity in your life can only come about through being with Jesus. Think of the people who have influenced you the most. For most of us, it's the people who have been closest to us and rubbed up against your life, spent time in your life again and again and again, whether it's your parents, you know, sometimes it's a youth leader, it's a life group leader, it's a pastor, it's a friend, it's the people who are with you the most influence you the most. And this, the call to be with Jesus is particularly important. L let, me, let me illustrate this by explaining to you how I, how I disciple my children. I have three children, and that's it, 16, 14, and 8, and I love them. And this is how I disciple them. Once a week, I get them on the couch, I line them up in height order, and I sit them down on the couch, and I speak at them for 45 minutes. And I do a really good job. I use illustrations and dad jokes, which they love, and I, I really go for it. I make emotional appeals and ask them to respond after the 45 minutes. And I give them a whole lot of things to go and do in the week. And then I send them in the joy of the Lord. That's how I disciple my kids. Do you think I'm doing a great job as a dad? Yeah, we, we laugh at that approach. And if anyone's a parent, you're thinking, yeah, that, that's not a good... By the way, that's not how I do it. And that's not how you should do it in case my sarcastic tone... Owen and I were having to talk about this, like sometimes sarcastic gear, not fully engaged. People think you're being serious. I'm not being serious. Uh, if you think that's the right way to do it, it's not. We don't do that. We don't do that because it would never work. If you're a parent... I mean, firstly, it would be a miracle of God if your kid sat on the couch for 45 minutes without moving. Uh, and secondly, that's not how children are transformed. And you know what? That's not how adults are transformed. You are not going to be transformed into maturity in Jesus by sitting here and listening to a, a, a however long it is message, well-illustrated, lots of things to do, 
whatever it is, and off you go, and that's all you get. There will not be transformation in your life, transformation in your walk with Jesus. How do I know that? Because when I read Matthew 28, famous verses to those of us who know the Bible, you see something in you that is so important to see. Matthew 28, I'll pick it up in verse 18. Then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We love that passage, don't we? But I misquoted that passage. Those of you who are sharp enough have picked up what I left out. What did I leave out? Yeah, to observe. Some of the, the translations say to obey. Teaching them to obey. Teaching them to observe. Not just teaching them. You've got to teach people how to obey, how to observe. Not just fill heads and hearts with information. The, the application, the next step of the obedience, the application of what does it look like in my life to follow Jesus with what I've been taught. Because the application is different for everyone. Owen's life and a step of obedience in Owen's life would look different to Dave's life, even Jenny's life, to other Dave's life. It, we all look different. Because obedience, it's not like you get to tailor make obedience, it's just that the, the, our lives are different. The waywardness of our heart is different, our temptations are different, our context is different. You can only teach people to obey if you know the context of their life. You've got to get close to people so that you can teach them to obey because you know the context of their life. You have relationship with them. You can teach people you don't know. You can't teach people to obey unless you are close and in their lives and you know them and you love them and they feel loved by you. And Jesus is with his disciples he is teaching them how to obey, and he then sends them to do the same in all the nations of the world. The third thing we see in what Jesus does in making disciples is that he is equipping them. He's equipping them. He's not just teaching them to obey. He's equipping them. They're observing him. They're observing him. If you're a believer in Jesus and you want to make disciples of others, and let me just pause quickly and say this. I have a strong conviction that when that passage that we just read in Matthew 28, all authority has been given on heaven and it's been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. That's not kind of like an optional, hey, I, I want this package. Like I believe here you don't all have Sky um, TV, so you can't all watch the Formula One or whatever else kind of thing, which is appalling, I think. But anyway, um, they should make that like a... A national thing. It just give you all sky, so you can watch Formula One. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write to Boris, and don't worry, I'll take care of that for you guys when I get back home. But uh, it, it, some people think like disciple making is like this bolt-on package. Like I can follow Jesus as a Christian. I'm gonna leave the disciple making to the professionals. You know, like that sounds pretty intense, disciple making. But Jesus just gives that instruction. He says, 
This is for all of you. The authority has been given to me. I'm calling you to myself. I'm sending you in my authority. Now go. And as you're going, make disciples. It's not a top-tier instruction. This is grassroots Christianity. This is what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus, is that you follow him and you help others to follow him. Some of you are saying, I don't know how to do that. Praise the Lord. That's a good place to start. Because there's, a, there's a reason why you don't know how to do it is because no one's ever done it for you or to you. It's a great place to start. Say, I want to do that. I don't know how. You can be equipped. You can be taught. You can be helped. But please don't think that this is something reserved for the professionals. All right, this guy came and he spoke all about, all about disciple making, and I hope the leaders took uh, notes so that they, they can do that stuff. If you love Jesus, you're not off the hook. Jesus has called you to be a disciple and a disciple maker, a ma making disciples out of others. And they do this by observing what Jesus has done. In Luke 10, he sends them out. And what happens? He sends them out. He gives them an instruction of what to do. Off they go. And then they come back and they have a feedback session. Jesus is like, what happened? How did it go? And they have a conversation. And he sort of kind of rebukes them because they're getting more excited about the fact that the demons submit to them that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. They're like, wow, that was pretty cool. Little missions trip you sent us on. Jesus' stuff was going down. You know? Wow. And they're like, hey, hey, before you get excited about what I do through you, be excited about who I am to you and who you are in me. We always need a bank. That identity comes before any kind of functional ministry and stuff. We just say we are sons and daughters of the living God. We're so grateful for that, Father. Nothing that we do, you know, adds to your pleasure over us. We're just secure in our identity. But Jesus does equip them. It's not enough just to be with people. We need to be equipping them. In Ephesians 4, you'll know these verses well. It says this from verse 11. He says, He, Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach mature unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. This is what it means to be a Christian. It means to be equipped for what God has called you to do. So when I preach, I just ask tons of questions. I don't expect you to answer them. I expect to provoke something that you'll have time in this week to answer. What has God called you to do? What is the ministry God has called you to do? The, the role of the leaders and the gifts in this church is to equip you for the works of service. You haven't joined Foundation Church to help Owen and Jenny and others with their ministry. You've joined the family of God, so that through this wonderful family, God can use people who are gifted by the Spirit of God in different ways to equip you for a ministry that God has called you to, for works of service that God has planned in and through your life before the foundations of the world. This is not a casual arrangement. This is massively important. You have to find out, God, how have you wired me? How have you gifted me? What are you calling me to? And get equipped 
and envisioned and filled and empowered for that ministry. Otherwise, the body lacks, and people um, are just stunted in reaching maturity. That's what uh, Paul says to the Ephesians. We all get better. We all get healthier. We all get more mature when we're loving and serving each other. So what's your ministry? What's your ministry? There's no spectators in church. This is a battleship, not a cruise liner. Have you heard that imagery before? Cruise line, I've never been on a cruise liner. I would love to, but I think I might get annoyed. Oh, the people just lying around. I don't like really being in the sun too much. I've got pale skin kind of thing. I'm not quite sure what I would do on a cruise liner, but it does sound relaxing. That's the goal of a cruise liner is that you relax. Everybody else does things to enable you to relax. A battleship is different. A battleship is sent out into a war. And everyone has a role. Everyone knows what they're doing on that ship. And they're all collaborating together for something bigger than themselves. That's what a church is. You're not on a cruise liner. You've joined a battleship. So what position are you manning? (laughs) What position are you manning? It's not enough for a couple of people to man positions. you all got to lean in because you're watching out for each other. And God has put gifts and abilities and strength into different ones of you, all of you, different ones in different people, but in all of you for the health and the flourishing of this church and many others who God will still add to you. Fourth thing is that he is envisioning them. He's envisioning them. This is how Jesus makes disciples. In Acts 1 verse 6, it says this, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when they had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up in a cloud, took him out of their sight. This is where, uh, this is a slight shift. I said some of it is for now, some of it is for later. You need to bed down uh, solid foundations in Foundation Church. But my prayer is that God would breathe on you and give you, even in these early days and years, a, a love for both neighborhoods and the nations. And you would, you would feel that burden, that God has not just called you to love and serve the people of Wokingham, as wonderful as Wokingham is and as wonderful as, it's, as her people are, but God has called us, all of us who follow Christ, to be witnesses to the nations, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is for every believer to be a part of what God is doing in the nations of the world. We all get to participate differently but we're all part of this global witnessing to the person and the work of Jesus Christ, neighborhoods and nations. We don't want to rush ahead and foolishly go to the nations when you don't have solid stuff here, but keep it in your hearts. You can pray. I remember being with you on, uh, on a Zoom call. I don't even remember when it was. You may, may not remember seeing me there. First, your first lockdown or our first? Okay. I lose track of how many lockdowns we've had, how many waves we've had. I just remember thinking, hey, here's a church, um, you know, halfway around the world, and I get to share prayer requests. And I remember you praying. I went back to our leadership team and said, guys, there's this church, my mate Owen leads it, and they're praying for us in Parkhurst. 
I gave them some highlights of what they can pray for in South Africa. South Africa is a complicated place. It's a, it's a messed up, complicated place that needs the gospel. And you're praying for the, the, the mercy of God to fall on our nation, for God to do uh, what, what he longs to do there. That's how it works. Our church are praying for you today. They know I'm here. They're praying that God would do something. God would spark something in you. God would ground you. God would envision you. God would make you alive. God would add to your number those who have been saved. We get to participate in what God is doing in the nations. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to be swept up in this because this is what the Spirit of God does. And this is how Jesus makes disciples. He envisions them. But he doesn't just give them a vision. He empowers them. This is the fifth thing. He says that to them. In Acts, he says, look, wait until you are clothed. Go in the city and wait, Acts 1 verse 8, until you are clothed with power from on high. Because you're going to be my witnesses, but you need to wait until you have been clothed with power. And they go and they wait. They do finally what they've been told. It wasn't always the pattern with the disciples, but now they finally listen to Jesus a little bit. And what happens? The Father sends the Spirit over them. I think Lex, Lex spoke, if you were here last week, about um, the, the Spirit. I'm sure he mentioned some of these things. God pours out the Spirit, and you see a different group of men. You see a different group of men. Three years of being with Jesus, they misunderstand a lot of what he said. When he needs them the most, they abandon him. Peter just bails on his promise. He says, even if I have to die with you, I'm not going to run. And he does. He does, just as Jesus predicted. And within days, within days, within weeks, God sends the Holy Spirit on those men. And who jumps up to preach in Acts 2? It's Peter. It's Peter. It's the deserter. <laughs> it's the guy whose faith failed when Jesus, his best friend, needed him the most. He jumps up and he preaches an absolute cracker of a sermon. And what happens? Thousands of people become believers in Jesus. Thousands. Weeks before, a young slave girl was asking him, do you know him? And he was like, I don't know him. I don't, no ways. I swear to you, I don't know the guy. And the Father sends the Spirit and the change. You can't help but be struck with what happens when the Spirit of God gets hold of your life. Friends, I just want to provoke you and push you to say, do not attempt the making of disciples. Do not even attempt faithful following of Jesus without the ongoing dependence on the help of the Holy Spirit. You are a Spirit-empowered being. You need the Spirit of God to follow Him faithfully, and you need the Spirit of God to help you multiply your life into the lives of others. The last thing Jesus does in making disciples is that he says no to pretty much everything else. Think of how Jesus could have run his ministry. Think of how he would do it now if he came these days. All the Instagram guys would have got a hold of him. Elon Musk would have phoned him up, said, man, yeah, I just bought Twitter, and man, we can make this thing go viral. I am just, this thing's just going to blow up. I can make you famous within hours. We can do such wonderful things. Jesus was less concerned about what the public thought of him. 
He does teach in large groups every now and then. But if you look at his life over three years, the majority of Jesus' teaching and his time is spent with 12 unschooled men, pouring his life into them and trusting that when he sent the Spirit on them, the world would be upended and never, ever the same. Jesus doesn't go for big crusades, big programs, fame, Jesus Christ Ministries International, trying to get on TV. He's not about that. And do you think Jesus modeled the third best plan to reach the world? No. When Jesus comes, this is the very best plan to reach the world. It's this. It's you and I saying no to other things so that we can say yes to pouring out our lives into the lives of others. We won't be able to get to everyone because you have limitations. And so you need to pray and choose and call people to Jesus Christ and to relationship with you and pour your life into them and be with them and envision them for the the, the ministry of God in the nations and the world. Envision them for what God is going to do in their lives. But it, it means you have to say no to other things. I'm a pastor There's a lot of ways I could spend my time. And I know, our church know, that there are a lot of things that I say no to, and there are a lot of things I say, there's less things I say yes to. And one thing I say yes to is time with people. I tell our church, I tell the newcomers when they come on the newcomers course, we have intentionally structured our church that if you want to see me, I'm the senior leader of this team. If you want to see me, all you have to do is call me. My number is on the website. You can phone me. Don't don't apologize for wanting to meet with me. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know you must be so busy. Bloody, bloody, bloody. Don't start with an apology. Just tell me you want to meet with me. You need help. You need equipment. You need direction. I call me with everyone, but I'll meet with people a couple of times and then connect them to other people. You want to be accessible. I have, there are smaller groups that I meet with. I pour my life into those men. They know that if they need me, they can call me any time of the day or that I will be there for them. You can't do that for everyone. And you need to figure out who are those people going to be that you are going to give your life away to. You have to say no to other things so that you can say yes to making disciples like Jesus made disciples. It's going to cost you. It costs Jesus. It's going to be frustrating. I've had the privilege to teach on discipleship many, many times over the years as we've discipled different people you know, over the years. And one thing I'll tell you is that as I've shared at different times, I've had different stories. Sometimes it's like, Lord, this is just a wonderful, like, like Dave is a wonderful illustration. I've known Dave for, for, more, for half his life. And had the privilege of discipling him and loving him and seeing what God has done in his life. But not everyone you pour your life into turns out like Dave. I mean, Dave is a slow case. I've probably got another 15 years of discipling this guy, uh, and then I should be, able, should be able to move on kind of thing. But there's some, there's some who you pour your life into, and it just goes sideways. They walk away from you, the church, the faith. Think of Jesus. He didn't make it to the end with 12. Even Jesus. Even Jesus. But I do want to still call you to this. But I want to call you eyes wide open to pouring your life into others. Friends, this is the very best way you can spend your best energy of your life. 
is to giving your life away to others for the sake of Jesus Christ. Calling them to follow him, loving them, envisioning them, praying together with them for that the God, the, the Spirit would empower them, loving them, doing life together with them. This is what it means to be part of a church. And I pray that as you go through the months and years as a church, that this vision would grab your hearts, that as a church you would be known. So, oh yeah, we know Foundation Church. Man, those people, they love others. You get amongst them, and it takes a while to figure it out, but man, they've got, they're so close. There's relationships in that church, and people just seem so affectionate with each other. They really seem to know each other. They really know what's going on in each other's lives, and God is doing something amongst them. And as God, as you follow Jesus in that, God chooses to bless you and to multiply and to multiply and to multiply and to add and to entrust your church with new believers. Because we're not in the business of making converts, we're in the business of making disciples. Those are different things. We don't want people to pray a prayer, we want them to follow a savior, step by step by step by step, back, backward steps, sideward steps, wanderings, and coming back and step by step and step. That's the, that's the pattern of your life, hasn't it been? Hasn't just been, wow, one degree of glory to another, just wow, you've wandered. Your heart is cooled. Who brought you back? Somebody who knew you. The grace of the Spirit of God, being part of a church is what it means. And I'm going to pray for you in a, in a minute that God would give you a particular grace as a church and really capture your hearts with it. That there are many things that you could do as a church, but that you would prioritize this, intentional relationships with others, going deep with them and the gospel, sharing your lives with one another under the joy and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit, and you would trust God with the results of that that you would be a fully formed, mature, healthy body of joy-filled family of believers that God would take great delight in. He does already, but I, I sense there's more to come for you. And you would do it here in the neighborhoods, and God would trust you with a ministry into the nations. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your, your extravagant love for us. We don't deserve to be treated with such a kindness and mercy and grace and have your affection set on us. And yet you have done it because that's who you are. And we worship you this afternoon, the, the, the grace-giving God. We just want to revel in, in your kindness and the fact that you're amongst us here you have made us sons and daughters out of your great mercy. And I pray for my brothers and sisters this afternoon. I pray um, for Foundation Church. And I pray, um, Father, that you would grab a hold of the hearts of my brothers and sisters and envision them in deep and meaningful ways to follow you, Jesus, as the ultimate disciple maker, that you would grab a hold of our hearts in fresh ways to give our lives away to others, to count the cost, but to pour out our lives into others, to see the gospel um, formed in them, to see maturity come, to see health come in the lives of others. 
we, we know that we need the help and the, the power of the Spirit. So we pray that you would breathe over us again as we commit ourselves uh, to this task. We pray for, an, um, I pray for a mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God on my brothers and sisters for this task. I pray that um, as they commit to, to living this way, that you would be pleased to add to their number those who have been saved that you could trust this family with new believers, new followers, new disciples of Jesus who would be loved and cared for and shepherded and led and guided and, 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 and just matured and loved through the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would do that. And I pray for the years to come for this church. Thank you that you call us to faithful following and you take care of the fruit. And I pray that you would grab a hold of their hearts and give them a deep desire to follow you faithfully. First as disciples, as sons and daughters, and secondly as disciple makers, giving their lives away to others. And you, Father, would take care of the increase, both here in Wokingham and to the very ends of the earth. And I pray that you would do that for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.